When we recognize that we have a sinful past and we identify the sinful past and ask Jesus Christ to come into our life, then we recognize that there is no way we're going to have a perfect world right now. That's true. Jesus has to come first. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. I'm Janice. This is Bible Discovery, where we are discovering the Bible today. And Corey is here with Ryan. Corey. Okay, so we're looking at the end of David's reign today, but also the beginning of the Jerusalem temple. Ryan? Well, in 2 Samuel 23, we read David's last words, which is really a psalm. And as this passage reminds us, David was the main writer of the book of Psalms. But today, we're going to look at some of the other people who also made contributions to Israel's hymn book. Yeah, Israel's hymn book. That is a great one. I love that. Uh, okay, Janice, what are you doing? Today, a heart condition. All right, very good. Get your Bible guide out and your Bible, and let's listen to what God is saying to us as we open it up and read it. Second Samuel 24, verses 13 through 25. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from morning till the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned, and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Arana went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then Arana said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Arana said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing implements, and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Arana has given to the king. And Arana said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Arana, No, 
but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 13 through 25. There's only two chapters here as we continue to go through the Bible. 2 Samuel 23 and 24. Very interesting as we read through the entire Bible this year for the 32nd time. Now listen carefully. When we recognize the sinful problem we have, I have, and admit that the only way to solve that problem is through Jesus Christ, we learn that a perfect world is not possible in this time especially this time of grace. The Lord Jesus Christ promises us a life in his perfect kingdom, and he helps us move towards becoming more like him. Now that means that we must recognize our sin and give our life to Jesus in repentance, repentance, and follow him as our Lord and our Savior with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength, all of our mind as well. He is the only one who can forgive us and begin our path to redemption. Because of this, Christ has given us eternal life, life forever. Our long-term plans are important ones. When David's kingdom first came to power, the people of Israel may have thought that political security and peace would help them with their sinful behavior. But they would actually be wrong. And David knew this, Psalm 110, verse 1. In fact, it talks about this. It says, only through the Lord Jesus Christ can our inner darkness be transformed into light. Only through Messiah will God's enemies be thwarted and judged in order to establish his kingdom of truth and peace forever and ever. Very true. Now, listen to me. This is a really important statement. Because as we get ready to read this today, it's a long read, but as we get ready to understand what's happening, God is going to speak to us. Get your Bible guide out and turn to it. If you don't have one, why not? You, you know what I'm going to ask. Write or call or go to Bible Discovery TV. It'll take you to the donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. And it'll take you to the page. You can download it exactly like it looks in the print style. But this is important because as we do this, we need to read and hear what God says to us to change us, Father. Help us as we look at the troubled kingdom. Help us to understand that we're the trouble in the kingdom. Help us to learn that giving our lives to you changes us. Because we need to change. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name we would hear you today instead of trying to read our, our ideas into the Bible. Help us to listen to what the Word of God says to us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Look at the scripture. This is important. 2 Samuel 24, 13 says, So Gad, that's a prophet, came to David and told him that he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land, 
Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to God who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. This is fascinating. David sinned. He sinned, okay? This is what it, if you read this today, you understand he sinned. He had to choose the punishment for that sin. Sin will destroy us completely, completely. That's why we must repent of our sin and be born again. Now, David understood that all of these things involved, an, or all but two, all but one of these things involved the element of man. Only God is the one who would deal with the plague, but everything else was dependent on man. And so he said, no, don't put me under man. I want to be under God. What an amazing thing to think about. You know, that's why David was so great, is he understood how to deal with this. And so, beloved, we need to understand when we come to the Lord and confess our sin to him, it's between us and the Lord, not between us and every court in the land, not, not between us and the press, not between us and TVs or Facebook or YouTube or anybody else. It's between us and God. God keeps our secrets to himself because we don't make them secret anymore. We confess them to God. It's a very important point. Listen carefully. Second Samuel 24, 15. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. And then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, surely I have sinned. There's the confession. There it is. Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. Wow, that's intense. People bear the consequences of their leadership. We do. As Christians or Christ-like people, our leader is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we follow him, beloved. We follow the Lord. And when we do so, we understand that, you know, when we don't follow the Lord, we understand that's a problem. But when we do follow the Lord, things change for us. And we begin to understand. And let me tell you, that's what a Christian is, somebody who follows Christ. We need to pay attention to that. Now, let's go back to the scripture because this is even better. 24, 18 to 25. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana and the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now, Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming towards him. So Arana went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And then Arana said, Why has my Lord? The king come to his servant 
And David said to buy the threshing floor from you to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now, Irana said to David, no, let my Lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are the oxen for the burnt sacrifice and the threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All of these, O king, Irana has given to the king. And Irana said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. And then the king said to Arana, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, that which cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor, or bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from. Israel. David knew that a genuine sacrifice came with a price and insisted that he pay the cost. Jesus Christ, beloved, has paid the cost of our sin on the cross once and for all. God has done it for us. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. So as we finish off the book of 2 Samuel today, we're going to see this really interesting uh, account of David purchasing a threshing floor uh, just outside of his city of David, which would become Jerusalem proper, and building an altar there. Now, we know because you know we've read ahead <laughs> that this site will become the Temple of Jerusalem. So today, you and I are going to be focusing in on the Jerusalem Temple a lot of space is going to be given to this in the next couple of books of the Bible, uh, especially over one of the weekends. We're going to see it being all built and, and how much time it takes and how much effort goes into it from King Solomon. Uh, but I want to take a look at some of the intentions behind the temple, uh, which mesh really well with the tent tabernacle as well. Take a look. As meeting places for God and men, ancient temples were created to reflect the ideal environment for such an event, the Garden of Eden, also called the Garden of Plenty or Paradise in surrounding cultures. The Jerusalem temple built by King Solomon was no exception. The Bible gives a detailed description of it. First, its location, built just outside the city of David up on the highest point of the hilly territory. Mountains seem to have always been associated with God, holiness, and meetings between man and God. Take for example the tradition that the Garden of Eden itself was on a mountain, the building of the artificial mountain that we have in the Tower of Babel incident, and the giving of the Mosaic Law on Mount Sinai. The Temple's Mountain is also biblically associated with Mount Moriah, where generations earlier Abraham had nearly offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It seems that the temple itself was built and decorated to reflect the Garden of Eden. In front of it stood the Bronze Sea Reservoir and the ten bronze water carts decorated with lions and cattle. These likely symbolized the water of creation and the rivers that flowed through Eden to water it. 
In predictions of the future temple of God, the prophets all mention a river of life that flows from it. Perhaps the lions and the cattle on the carts symbolized prey and predator living peacefully together as in Eden and the future temple. There were also two 25-foot-tall pillars whose capitals were shaped like lilies and were covered in hundreds of pomegranates, perhaps representing the two special trees of Eden. The doors to the temple were made out of wood with gold overlay and carved with cherubim, palm trees, flowers, all garden motifs found in Genesis. The inside floors and walls of the temple were covered with wood paneling and carved with vegetables and flowers, continuing the natural paradise theme. In Solomon's temple, the one lampstand of the tabernacle was replaced by 10 lampstands. If these were created in the same fashion, they were decorated to look like stylized almond trees. The back wall of the temple that separated the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized God's presence, from the rest of the temple, was decorated a bit differently with its cherubim, trees, and flower blossoms. Its door was made out of a special olive wood carved with the same images and covered in gold. The idea of gardens being holy places was widespread in the ancient Near East, and its application was not limited to symbolism, building materials, and carvings. Ancient kings had a habit of collecting trees from conquered or allied nations and planting elaborate gardens in their cities, palaces, and temples. As God is said to have planted the Garden of Eden, kings also took it upon themselves to be creators in their own right. Images of live potted trees being transported strikes a chord with the careful Bible reader. Perhaps a similar practice occurred in the courts of Solomon's temple. So I think this concept is really interesting of the, the temple and the tent tabernacle as reflecting a place where mankind can once again communicate with God. Uh, so it's very appropriate that imagery from the Garden of Eden is used both in the tent tabernacle and definitely explicitly in the Jerusalem temple. Uh, and, you know, we, we see later on, we're going to see as Solomon dedicates the temple, we're going to see that God does come and communicate with uh, King Solomon and with the, the priests at that time. Uh, so it, it really does does tie together the imagery from the temple with its purpose. Yeah, that's very interesting, Corey. Thank you so much. Ryan? Yeah, well, as I mentioned off the top of the program, in 2 Samuel chapter 23 are recorded David's last words, which could be considered a psalm. And this passage reminds us that David is the principal writer of the book of Psalms. But it's also true that there were a few other contributors as well, like his son Solomon, Moses, Asaph, Heman, Ethan, and the sons of Korah. Now, Solomon and Moses are well-known biblical figures, but less known are Asaph, Heman, Ethan, as well as the sons of Korah. So let's figure out just who these guys were. Although David is the principal writer of the Psaltery, with 75 out of the 150 Psalms attributed to him, other contributors include the sons of Korah, Asaph, Solomon, Heman, Ethan, and even Moses. While David, Solomon, and Moses are all well-known figures, a little bit more obscure are Asaph, Heman, Ethan, and the sons of Korah. Interestingly, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan were all Levites and the head musicians of David's massive worship team, each apparently leading a temple choir, with Heman placed in the center. These three men also led in sounding the cymbals and, along with their families, led worship at the dedication of Solomon's temple. 
Also, because prophesying in those days was very closely linked with the playing of music, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan were all considered seers, what later biblical writers called prophets. Heman was the human author of Psalm 88, and his position as the king's seer, as noted in 1 Chronicles 25.5, is certainly no surprise, since he was the grandson of the great and godly prophet Samuel. And Asaph, of whom twelve psalms are attributed, was Heman's associate, and was appointed by David in 1 Chronicles 16 as chief musician at the sanctuary. Significantly, as 2 Chronicles 29.30 shows, Asaph composed songs of praise that the people used in worship long after his own time. In fact, his descendants continued as chief musicians into the post-exilic period, many centuries after Asaph. Not to be forgotten is Ethan, called Ethan the Ezrahite, who is also probably the same as Jeduthun. He is the author of Psalm 89, and was considered among the wisest men ever known at that time, second only to Solomon. Also closely connected with Heman, Asaph, and Ethan are the sons of Korah, of whom eleven psalms are attributed. This close connection can be seen from Psalm 88, which is doubly attributed to both Heman and the sons of Korah. But just who were these sons of Korah? Actually, these Korahites were also from a Levitical family, with musical and other responsibilities at the tabernacle and temple. Their ancestor, Korah, rebelled against the authority of Moses and Aaron, and he and his family were put to death because of it, though the clan did not completely die out. Later, in the days of David and Solomon, they served as musicians and gatekeepers at the tabernacle and temple, and they were still ministering at the temple in the days of Jehoshaphat, more than a century after David. While it's not exactly clear what sort of duties were assigned to these gatekeepers, it is significant that the Psalms associated with the sons of Korah speak of the requirements for entry into the temple and thus seem appropriate for gatekeepers. Although it certainly seems likely that there were other contributors to the Psalms, due to the fact that one-third of them remain anonymous, it is impossible to identify them. What we can be absolutely sure of, however, is their ultimate authorship, none other than the Holy Spirit of God himself. So, except for Moses, all of the named contributors of the Psalms lived around the same time period. And as far as the rest of the unattributed Psalms go, we just don't know who wrote those. But that's not a problem because we know that the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's true. And, and as I've said before, uh, that I used to do this in church. We would pray the Psalms. And I haven't done that for our audience here, and we should at some point. Maybe this year we go through the Psalms, we'll do that. But Absolutely. The Psalms are great to pray and to sing. And, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, I don't know how to pray. Well, you've got 150 Psalms there that are excellent. You do. <laughs> you have 150 yeah. Psalms, and one of them is 176 verses. Psalm 119. Yeah, there you go. That's lots lots of good one. material. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, lots of 22 sessions of eight verses, so it's very good. Anyway, uh, Janice. And you know what? I always like to tell people, read, read your Bible out loud, because it really changes the atmosphere, and I find that especially true with the Psalms. So I titled my segment today, A Heart Condition. I thought this um, quote from C.S. Lewis was quite interesting, as Rod would say. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. Let me say that again. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. And I think we all know that to be true of ourselves as well. 
Um, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 10 begins with this, and David's heart condemned him. Now, David, like us, he fell into sin many times. But we also know of David that his heart was very sensitive to God's righteous will, and he would quickly confess his wrongs to God. And that's exactly what this verse says. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Um, I think it's important for us to not make excuses for the things that we do or the things that we've done. But as we have given our lives to follow Jesus Christ, and I'm speaking to the Christians right now, um, that when we choose to give Jesus Christ our life, that we follow him. And those who have never invited Jesus Christ into their life or asked him to forgive your sins, he will do that. He is the only one that can do that. And you might say, well, you know what? Um, I've done too much and I've gone too far and God couldn't possibly accept me or forgive me or want me. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. First John 1, verse 9 in the Bible, it's in the New Testament, near the end. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, once we recognize that we've done something wrong, once we, and, and you know what? There are things that we do that we don't even know that we are sinning. When we confess to him, we, we can't hide from God. Although, you know, sometimes we try, we can't. And why would we want to live like that? Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves you very much and is waiting for you. And he will answer when you call. The Lord said to Samuel, when God told Samuel to go and anoint the next king, and Samuel looked at all of Jesse's sons, there was eight boys, and he had gone through seven already, and, and he thought that the first one would have been king for sure because he looked the part. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can't fool God, and he knows your heart. When you're honest with him, and you come to him, and if you ask for forgiveness, you ask for his help, and you mean it, he is right there. He is right there. Very important. And the way that you can understand God talking to you is you pray and and you say well how do i pray you just think about god for a minute and god will penetrate through all of the outside and say jesus christ forgive me of my sin i'm a sinner you paid the cost of sin you died and rose again i come to you today be the lord of my life